and welcome to Anarchism Interrupted, an anarcho-feminist podcast where we will discuss anarcho-feminist perspectives and readings, bringing together radical politics, anti-capitalism and feminism. Throughout this episode, we talk about violence and especially sexual violence. So if you think it might upset you, please don't feel like you have to listen and feel free to come back at a later time. We put a timestamp in the description for a part where we go in more depth in case you want to skip that. I'm Vicky and my pronouns are she, they. I'm Anna Marie and my pronouns are they, them. And we are Anarcha Feminists! So, this episode, we're going to look into the concept of the manarchist, and we're going to do it by talking about an article that was published in Strike Magazine in, I think, 2015 by Ray Flar, who's an activist and writer um, in the UK. And they wrote this piece called Notes Towards the Theory of the Manarchist, and there's also a quiz which we'll go through. So maybe we could start with a summary and sure. I'm going to give you 40 seconds. <laughs> oh my god. To try okay. and summarize. The on. <laughs> yeah. I think I, could, I think I can do it. I wrote loads of I bullet mean, points, but I mean, I don't feel like... It's a pretty short yeah. article, so the pressure... My summary is longer than the article. <laughs> <laughs> Big mood. So I'm gonna... I'm gonna... Start the timer. Okay. Three, two, <laughs> one, start. Okay, so, <laughs> good start. Um, so, the, the, oh my god. <laughs> okay, okay, I can do it. 30 seconds left. So, overall, it's like, um, it's like a parody of what makes up a manichist by looking. <laughs> I think you should keep all of this in. <laughs> Um, by looking at, like, yeah, so what makes a manichist, which is mostly, like, the racism of the manichist, the sexism of the manichist, and then the lack of accountability that the manichist believes in slash does. And time's (laughs) over! Did you get it? Was that really clear? Wait, I can't turn it off. Turn it off. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I think it it was good. It was good. (laughs) Could be better, but yeah. I mean, you got you got the room basic... for improvement. <laughs> a lot of room yeah. for improvement. Yeah. So I think I really, really like the article. Yeah. Because I think it's such an incisive way of putting together all the different ways in which anarchists occupy spaces and further oppressions. But I, I also think that maybe we should try and define monarchism a little bit at the yeah. beginning. So it is usually men who are anarchists and they really do not understand or, or care about most oppressions. I, I think the thing that like I took away from the most from it was the way that it positions, or like the way that it underlines the fact that like, the monarchist is like just still so heavily invested in current power structures despite being like the most radical the like self-described most radical but then you're not because you're only invested in being on top yeah are there the reason that a lot of anarchist spaces are not welcoming to women basically a hundred percent like even the very few things on the internet that are like anarcho-feminist like they talk about how terrible anarchist men are (laughs) yeah and I do think that some of this 
it overlaps with the idea of left bros as well. Yeah. And in general, leftist men and maybe communist spaces or socialist spaces where really they just want to make it about them. They care about their ego and, and they care about everything really furthering their status in the community. Yeah, the thing one of the like one of the first lines I think in the article is like the manicus loves women and so he does not need to listen to them. Hmm. Which I thought was kind of brilliant in how like concisely it sums up the position of a lot of these men where they're just like, No, but you don't understand, like I fuck women all the time, so obviously <laughs> I can't be a misogynist. <laughs> yeah. Like I think they're really hot. So <laughs> you can't you can't fault me. So basically, it is it is a very rich concept. And I think that's also why when I found it, when I was looking through an archive, late at night, while slightly drunk, this gives you an insight into my life, way too much of an insight. <laughs> and I found this, and I was so excited because I just immediately like photocopied it and then sent it around to like everybody I knew. I, I just think it's like one of the best places to start when you start thinking about, you know, even just anarcho feminism in general, because we will be talking about monarchists a lot. <laughs> so yeah. So if you want to follow along at home, it's online. And uh it might not zoom in as well as our copy. Yeah, we have a physical copy yeah, but of my late night archiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drinking, archiving. No, just archiving. Drunkiving. Drunkiving. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. So, let's start. Are you a manarchist? Dun, dun, dun. Complete this simple quiz to discover <laughs> if you are a manarchist. Answers may also apply to brochelists. There we go. Important. Question one. Are you a cisgender man? No. No. Have you ever felt you're the only person speaking in a political meeting? I mean, maybe a little bit, but only in, in groups I'm in where it's actually women-only groups. Yeah, or... or when there's like three of us. Yeah, yeah. Are you a white person with dreadlocks? Oh my god. <laughs> That's no. a nice question. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you often feel your analysis of situations far surpasses that of your female slash non-binary comrades? Rarely. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. I mean, yeah. We, Not we often. Should be, we should be tracking our yeses and noes so we can do the actual, like... So is that a yes? Um... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm going to say yes, too, because I'm an egotist. It's but just like sometimes you're in a meeting, it's very long, you're surrounded by people, and they're just saying bad opinions. Okay. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just... my, like, Capricorn ego. Okay, do you want to read the next one? Yeah. Maybe someone's a rapist, but they are such a great activist, so they should stay involved? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> uh, I think I will answer yeah. a no. Yeah. They I... should not stay involved. Obviously, it's a tough one. <laughs> big sarcasm. Big, big sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you do have to say that. Yeah, just in case. Um, yeah, no, that's a big no for me. Um... Huge no. Nope. Do safe spaces unsettle you? (laughs) 
unsettle. I love, I love that. Like, oh, it just, it just unsettles me, you know? <laughs> That's like something like homophobic people say about, like, <laughs> I don't know. holding hands. I can't put like, my finger on why. I just feel unsettles me. uncomfortable. But I mean, also, like, most, like, a lot of places that say that they're safe spaces, like, what does that mean? And often they're not, slash, like, yeah. You know, they're safer spaces, yeah. or even if they're like, you know, and then even sometimes they're not even that, you know, like mm. I think the like thing that unsettles Manicus about safe spaces is that they go into like the space is predicated on like a collective responsibility for looking after people in the space, and Manicus don't like that obligation. Mm. I think that's well put. Thank you. You're so clever. Well, thank you. <laughs> we gotta keep that bit in. <laughs> Okay, so what's our answer to do safe spaces and settle you? I'd say no. I'd say no. Okay. Do you want to read the next one? Yeah. I don't experience that form of oppression, but if you want equality, all opinions should be equal, mine included. Um... <laughs> I mean, no. No. Okay. No, I agree, it's no, but I don't even know how to explain why it's no, because it's so absurd. It's absurd. Like, if you want equality, all opinions should be equal. But, like, how... This is the thing where, like, manicists just clearly don't understand anarchism. <laughs> yeah. Like, how could you say that and be an anarchist? Like, I don't... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, some opinions are violent. Don't deserve space or airtime or... Yeah, and I feel like a lot of, um, like... Manarchists that are also anti-fascist understand that when it comes to at least their very narrow definition of fascism. Yeah. But then suddenly, <laughs> when it comes to literally everything else, that doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. Because what? They would have to lose standing if it did. Yeah. They would have to give up some privileges. And they're like, no, we're ready to do that. And their opinions are so clever, so <laughs> we'd be really losing out. <laughs> yeah. So that's a no from both That's of us. a no. Do you often feel the need to speak on behalf of others? I think this is a complicated one. Yeah, because I feel like maybe when I was first involved in activist spaces, I felt like I had to, or I felt like that was expected of me. Um, but I think I stopped feeling the need to like speak on behalf of, of other people because I understood the difference between speaking on behalf of others and just like trying to echo what other marginalized people might be saying because it's not that like they're silent it's that they are speaking and nobody is listening to them so so maybe the the role there is more to make people pay attention to what people are already saying rather than um needing to you know speak on behalf of somebody yeah so i think it's a no for me now yeah i agree i think this is something that i like have been learning not to do. Mm -hmm. So that's a no. The next one is safe space equals police state? Question <laughs> mark. Um, no. Like this again. Like like if you said that type of thing, like you really just don't understand how power works. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. police states work. I mean, or how the police works. Yeah. I... Which is a huge thing for a lot of anarchists. They talk about the police all the time. So that's a no. We don't think that. <laughs> okay. Next one is, are identity politics a distraction? Oh, I do not think they're a distraction. No. No, me neither. It's got to the point where, like, nobody knows what anybody means when they say identity politics. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah. yeah, they just mean so many different things that, like, it's... <laughs> Define your terms, like... Yeah. Um, are you racially colorblind? Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have read through all of this, because this pains me to hear... Yeah. 
No. Oh man, we have to read all of it. There's some great ones coming up. <laughs> okay, so yeah. maybe that one can just say no. Yeah, it's a no. It's just a no. The real struggle is class struggle. When we overthrow capitalism, race and gender won't be issues, so let's not worry about them now. I think from our anarcho-feminist podcast, <laughs> you can probably tell that we don't think that. This one... You send me die. Paint. Yeah. A little inside. It, it, we're, we're like halfway through the quiz now, and I'm starting to feel physical pain. We should have from... played a drinking game with this. Oh my god, yes, you're so right. How would we do that? Every time we say no, we drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like some of these I've encountered more often than others, yeah. and this is definitely one of those. Yeah, I feel like often like people maybe don't explicitly come out and say this type of mm. thing, but they do, like, work from a place of believing that. Oh, yeah. And so then they only focus on, like, I don't know, overthrowing capitalism, but, like, they never ever see, like, like racial capitalism as part of capitalism. Yeah. I mean, it's inherent. Yeah, so... Because, like, part of me... Yeah, maybe this is a bad thing to say, but, like, part of me does, like, low-key agree with it in the sense that, like if you adequately and accurately get rid of capitalism, <laughs> then you are yeah. getting rid of these things because gender and race are tied up in the in, in capital, like, a lot. Yeah. But, like... Maybe not all of, of the, like, of the patriarchy, yeah. but you would chip away at it if you correctly address capitalism. But that requires you to understand that it's not just capitalism yeah. and just class separate. Like, there's no such thing as an idea of class separate from gender. Yeah, or race. And there's just no such thing. Yeah. And I also think that, like, there is this, like, weird and also, like, unfair, like, time thing where, like, men are allowed to enjoy the present Mm. and the future and people who are not white men get to suffer in the present and then not have a good future to think about, so we'll probably still be suffering. Do you know what I mean? Like... (laughs) Yeah. That's not... That's not fun. That's not good. Yeah, it's really not fair. No. They were thinking about, oh, let's get rid of these things that I don't like. And they were not thinking about how it affects, like, anybody else. Yeah. Which is wild. Because that's the whole purpose of anarchism, is to care about other people. So, what the fuck? (laughs) Anyway, so I would say that no. Okay, the next one is, if people have a problem with my opinion, they should... Teach me why my opinion is problematic. Uh, this question made me remember was that one time I went to this like workshop thing about like, I think it was maybe about facilitating. I can't remember, but I was talking about how like you can't expect people who are oppressed to like um, always be up for like telling you why the thing that you said is wrong. They they're allowed to just be like angry about it and be like, please don't do that. And then in the meeting itself, like, people got really angry with me and there was this manicus there who was just like, no, but, like, I'm a politics student and, like, I believe in debate and all this stuff. And I was just like, we're even, we're not even, like, I didn't, we're, we're learning about facilitation right now. Like, this isn't, this isn't t- the time. <laughs> like, self-awareness meter zero. zero. Below ground. Your self-awareness is in hell. <laughs> it's negative. That's in hell. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I definitely don't agree with this. So the next one is discriminating against men is equal to discriminating against women. Sexism is sexism. <laughs> I mean, no understanding of like the way oppression works. It's about power. You can't use power that you don't have to discriminate against people that like have more power than you. 
That was impossible. Well put, I think. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Drink if you've heard this before. You are not a feminist. You are a humanist slash equalist. That is honestly something that men on the right say, men that are centrist say. Like, so many of these things might as well come from somebody that's not left-wing at all. It's almost like they're just really invested in current systems of power, except they want more power. So that's a big no. That's a big no. (laughs) The next one is, will the black bloc secure the revolution? I mean, realistically, the, like, you know, 15 people in your local Antifa chapter... I know there, there's more somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's but... uh, 17. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying it's always not many, but, you know. In this hypothetical scenario, <laughs> very, very hypothetical, the 15 people in your Antifa chapter are not going to secure worldwide revolution and make every single society into an anarchist commune. <laughs> right. What will secure the revolution? Dating women. <laughs> So please date me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what's happening the in my head. first episode we came off, well, you came off very horny. I came off very lonely. <laughs> Two very similar emotions. Yeah, that's fair. Often go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> the next one's a funny. Sex work is always oppressive. Sex is all about free love, bro. <laughs> Oh my god. It's the free love, bro, that really gets me. (laughs) Also, there's, like, historical precedent of, like, Mm -hmm. anarchist men getting women to have relationships with them via the idea of free love, and then, like, the women suffer, and the men just get to have sex with lots of women. So, the next question is, the best anarchist has no fear of arrest. Every arrest is a badge of honour. Again, the whiteness. Yeah. It's it's strong here. A badge of honour, more like traumatising interaction with people who could kill you at any moment. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there are many roads that lead to liberation because people have different skills and, and you want to combine them. You don't want everybody to do the same thing. Like over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like... Um, it's also kind of telling that there's, like, such a massive focus on, like, getting arrested and, like, there's hardly any focus on, sort of, like, abolishing the apparatus that allows for arrest to happen. You know, if if the badge of honour is that you get arrested, like, but then you're always pretty much fine after being arrested. Hmm. Like, that tells you so much about, like, both, you know, who you are and how in- entitled and privileged you are. Basically, you, you have to be white in order to, like, not suffer that much from repeated interactions with the police. Um, But also tells you about, like, where your focus lies. Like, the energy that you spend getting arrested could be put into, like, supporting prisoners or abolishing prisons, like, overall, or, like, any anything that's actually fucking useful. Hmm. And I'm not obviously saying that, like, nobody should ever get arrested, but, like, I I think that if the goal of your action is to get arrested, that's a a mistake on Hmm. a lot of levels. And then, you know, obviously you also think about the way that, like, getting arrested like that, like, every time or whatever, like, that just leads to massive burnout as well. So you're just, like, 
rushing through the ranks of all these people who have energy and then all of their energy is spent like dealing with bureaucracy and like potentially being taken to court or having to pay lots of money when like again all of that energy and money could be put it's actually useful (laughs) i'm not sure if i can read this one do you find consent alienating we should just be able to read body language oh my god I think this is going to be my answer to every question. It's just going to be, oh my god. Which means no. <laughs> Wait, let me read your body language. <laughs> oh. Shh, shh. Vinny, don't tell me. Don't tell me. So what do I look like? You look really comfortable. <laughs> I look really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a no? I don't know. Yeah, do you want to talk about it a bit more or should we just let's just keep yeah let's just keep going like the next question is in this is are you still a member of the swp (sighs) and the swp stands for the socialist workers party who had a big scandal more than one to be fair but But i think a specifically large one in 2012 with somebody who came forward with allegations of sexual assault right against people who were, like, the head of the party, is that right? I haven't looked into all of the details because I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, they had a big scandal where they massively mishandled allegations of abuse and basically... And continue to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just, at this point, like, rape apologists. Yeah, absolutely. Widely considered to be that. And they're so so insidious, sorry. They're so insidious. Because they show up at like so many different protests and they hand people flyers. They're always and there. And like, honestly, when I went to some of the youth stuff, like, they were there too. And like, I felt that was so clearly, like, and disgustingly about getting like these young women to like come to their meetings when they don't mm. care about young women at all and actively harm them. So, being a member of the SWP, I mean, in this day and age again like there's no excuse because really there's no way that you wouldn't have heard of that scandal at this point yep right last two okay so marxism slash brutalism is not some great contribution to marxist thought or discourse it's just a silly little meme-like joke to be clear sometimes it is a silly little meme-like it's a great fun silly little meme-like joke I love to laugh at marxists but but it's unfortunately true. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. And also a very useful way to categorise men who are anarchists and who are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the last question is, we're all one race, the human race. <laughs> this is just like what liberals say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. 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 So... Let's um, read the answers now. So if you scored five or more yeses, you are a manarchist. Bro, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) While you strongly feel your voice is necessary in every debate, we've had hundreds of years of men dominating the vast majority of political spaces, and look where that's got us. You think all this talk of privilege is a distraction, but while you're busy trying to stay focused on the ultimate oppressive forces, you're leaving behind the people who are worst affected. You might think all your actions are fine, but think a little longer. (coughs) Stop talking and start listening. Yes, shut the fuck up. (laughs) 
Okay, and if you've got four yeses or under, you might not be a full-blown manichist, but you could be a better ally. You call yourself a feminist, but you believe your knowledge and opinions are just as valuable as those who have different experiences and social positions from you. You think activism is about skills, not gender or identity, but sexism and racism are systems of power that exist in every structure of society, even you. Yeah. True. And finally, one yes or less. Which is what we got. Yes. We did get one <laughs> yes. Reluctantly. <laughs> and probably through a misreading yeah, of, okay. of the question, but we did get one yes. You are a good ally. But we are not always perfect, so always accept constructive criticism. You know when to listen, mostly. <laughs> you have considered and researched the positions of people with identities and experiences different from yours, and you're open-minded when discussing someone else's battles. You do not shout the loudest in a space when you are only there to help. You also know when to Google things and not ask simple questions and waste other people's time. <laughs> well done! Keep up the good work and spread the word. It's <laughs> cute. Yeah, that's nice. So uh, tell us, like, write in what you got in the Manicus quiz. Do you really want to yeah, get... Yeah, send us emails. I do want to get emails. I Especially don't want... if you're butch. <laughs> I don't want to get emails from Manicists telling me they got ten yeses. You're right, you're right. But... If you're not a Manicist, send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's just so many men that I've met, not even necessarily manarchists, that do that thing of asking really simple questions and really expecting you to pour all your time and energy into educating them and not even Googling the thing they're asking. And especially because I think it's often quite like a bad faith question and it's actually a way to stop the conversation. You know, like instead of letting it flow on and actually be about what you want it to be about or like you know what is actually happening it then becomes like about like definitions or you know something that like mm. also just like makes it much more theoretical it acts as if these things aren't happening to you specifically mm. yeah like I, I don't always need to define the experiences that I have because I'm living them so your quest for for understanding where you should begin at listening to me or other people rather than trying to make me frame my experience in a way that you might understand when you usually don't understand anyway. Because, like, if you refuse to accept that you're, like, sexist, for example, like, no definition of somebody telling you of sexism is going to make you say that you are sexist. Yeah. Unless it's like, oh, well, we're all sexist, really. You're sexist, too. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like really what it demands is that you water the definition down to something that they can agree to in the moment. And I've definitely seen people do that in, like, maybe arguments with men where they think that they're doing the good work of educating somebody else and bringing them over in the struggle. But in the process, they've actually given up so much of what makes their view radical that they're reframing their own opinions in a way that doesn't even do justice to them. So yeah, that quiz was painful. <laughs> do you want to talk more about the article? Yeah. Um, one bit that I really liked uh -huh. is when they say the Marrakist loves queer ultraviolence and he's also a bit queer himself because he's polyamorous 
parentheses, fucks lots of women, <laughs> and kinky, parentheses, dominant. dominant. He's exploring relationship anarchy. He is throwing off patriarchal constraints like loyalty, responsibility, and housework. His girlfriends have a propensity to jealousy, which is not his fault. They're paranoid, which is not his fault. And I think... <sighs> You missed the best part where it says, for some reason, they won't fuck each other while he watches, which shows the lie of women's liberation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, I actually, I, in my notes, I wrote the bit where it says he's throwing off patriarchal constraints like loyalty, responsibility, housework, because I thought that spoke volume. Yeah. This bit reminded me of, like, uh, a Twitter thread <laughs> that I read earlier this week that uh, was talking about issues within a specific anarchist scene. And in one bit of it, a group of people came up to the, basically, men that were refusing to take accountability for the ways in which they were perpetuating abuse. And, and this group of people, who I think were mostly men, said that they tried to first have like a polite and nice conversation and genuinely see their side of the story. And the reason they approached the situation that way was because there were poly relationships at stake. <laughs> that moment when standing up to abusers um, threatens your polycule and you just have to first try and, you know, not be too antagonistic towards the rapist because, because somehow they're in your poly relationships. Which if they are, surely you have even more of it. I don't want to go too much into poly men in this episode <laughs> but then I can't say anything so maybe I will go into it a bit <laughs> yeah maybe if caring about women's safety threatens your romantic relationships you, you should you should not continue them and all of you should probably leave wherever you are just leave and never come back that blows my mind like stay away from me and and later on I think as the story sort of progresses, they do take a more decisive stand against the issues that are happening in the scene. But like the fact that their priorities are structured in a way where where that's almost like at the top <laughs> it is just so disturbing. I do think it's important to say that the manicus doesn't need to be polyamorous to be a terrible person and to treat women like shit. Yeah, absolutely not. I think, to me, it's more that polyamory can provide men with a whole new vocabulary to use to excuse their actions and be stealth <laughs> in, in their abuse, essentially. And I think anarchism can do that too. I think I'd like to talk about how the manarchist... Like, I mean, yeah, I guess this does continue what you were saying, like... Um, the manicus like is kind of covert in his like actions, and it's like hard to track almost, especially because he's he's he can be like popular. Mm. And there's a bit in the article where um, they say most of us, particularly women, have a story to tell about the manicus, yet he is hard to tell stories about. The manicus gets away with it. He is popular. He does practical solidarity work. He is the best activist. He is the best at saying he is the best. And I think something that I came away with after reading the piece was actually feeling a bit, like, of fear. 
Hmm. Because, like, the whole community is complicit in, like, the Manicus, and obviously to different levels and in different ways. But the way that there's, like, the way that these men position themselves as, like, the authority on, like, activism or, like, what's the most radical. Like, even just, like, having knowledge, Hmm. which you then find out that they hardly have anyway, (laughs) that all kind of contributes to them being able to abuse people and many people and get away with and it get away with it but but that is something that like everybody participates in like elevating yeah. like one particular person's voice or like immediately seeing that they have like granting them the authority like granting them the power and i think that's also because standing up against it does put you as an outcast and changes your own standing in a space and being complicit helps you to sort of almost like live in the shadow of their power like like it kind of transfers onto you and maybe that can be really attractive if you're somebody who is marginalized in other ways because it's like a quick way to feel listened to it's not really being listened to but it's a way to feel like you do have a belonging in a space yeah i i think this also kind of does follow on a bit from what we were talking about in the first episode of like what what calling yourself an anarcho-feminist can do in a space um Because, yeah, I sometimes feel like, even just with, like, small things of, you know, asking questions of these men who say that they have all of the answers, just immediately puts people on edge against you. And, like, I think, you know, which can be really hard because sometimes it's it's other women who, like, think that you're causing a a fuss and you should just be Mm. quiet or... You know, you're making the meeting longer and we all want to go home. But in reality, like, sometimes that's more important, like, to to refuse to accept, like, this person speaking as the the god of the group, you know? Yeah. And who gets to define what's a priority? Yeah, exactly. That's a better way of putting it. (laughs) If the priorities are such that you feel like bringing it up sexism is the last point of order and nobody has time for it there's an issue (laughs) going on there that goes well beyond you and was there before you said that and and i think the reason why yeah like when it's other women that it feels like more of a betrayal because you always expect it from men yeah yeah (laughs) let's be honest i don't care about men like i don't so yeah but I do care about women, so when they, like... Yeah, so it's kind of extra hard. But I do think that part of the reason why they do it is because they see what happens when somebody speaks up, and so they don't want that feeling of exclusion. I think a lot of us are really chasing after a place where we can feel included. Like, I don't think they're ever really included. I think their inclusion is conditional on them actually betraying a lot of their beliefs and, and going along with patriarchal structures and even a hierarchical structure of the Marrakist being at the top of it. <laughs> but, but it's hard when you're sort of the person that brings up the issue. Yeah. It's really tiring to be the one that does that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also there is a way that those people aren't, like, thanked at all, mm. even if there are productive conversations after that's that's done. Yeah. Because everybody's invested in not recognizing that that's work and that it's hard. Because then you'd have to recognize that maybe you're not the one who did it before. Or you'd have to recognize your own complicity. Yeah. Something I wanted to kind of like talk about, but I'm not really sure how to, 
uh, but I thought it was still like important to do so, is um, like sexual violence and the manichist specifically. So I thought I would read out like a chunk of the article um, and maybe we'll have things to say or maybe it will be enough. The manichist's true face is violence against women, against people who are not white men. He likes to date girls with issues so he can look after them. He wants to fuck you while you're sleeping. He does not see this as rape. He believes street harassment has nothing to do with rape. Because he doesn't believe in a politics of exclusion, he hangs out with rapists. His friends may have hit his girlfriend once or twice, but he does really good activism and anyway, he regrets it now. The manichist is a feminist when he wants to fuck. The manichist will use the language of sexual liberation to coerce you into sex. He'll call himself a feminist while raping you. He'll talk about community in the meeting in the morning and hit you in the evening. He will, t not, he will tell you not to be so stupid. Don't slut shame him. Do not accuse the manichist of sexual assault. Do not accuse him of rape apologism. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? Women who go to the police after being raped are capitalist betrayers. If they marry policemen, well, they deserve violence against them. The manichist anarchism is hierarchical politics by men who are not in charge yet. I really like that line. Yeah. I think that puts it so well. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. It's a hard bit yeah. to read out. Sorry. It's very heavy. <laughs> Thanks for reading it. Also, like, I never ever say those words. Yeah. It's I... hard. <laughs> Sorry. To talk about these things. Yeah. And I think that's what seems sometimes really unfair about being put in this position. Where you have to have really horrible conversations and talk about just horrible. Like, you have to talk about violence often. And, like, that's so unfair. <laughs> and then be disbelieved. Yeah. As well. This is why I, like, mostly try to organise only with women and non-binary people and, like... <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And I, like, try to only go to things that only... That have, like, safer spaces policies that only include women and non-binary people. But sometimes it's hard because those spaces sometimes just don't exist. And also, especially when you want to do something explicitly anarchist, the people that will take on the initiative and have the confidence to set up those spaces, some of them will be manarchists. Yeah. And because of the way in which they will use the language of feminism in a way that doesn't fool me anymore, <laughs> but I can tell they're trying to fool me, you can be lured into a false sense of security in their presence, but it's, it's not real. And you find that out, especially when something actually happens where you need to take a stand or, or you need to actually do some action to resolve a conflict. That's when you really find out. Yeah, and I think one way that, like, it becomes very clear the manichist, like, priorities is when people do try to, like, implement some kind of, like, community accountability document or write, like, a code of conduct together or... Like, because suddenly the manichist is like, well, hang on a second, this means I can't behave in the way that I have been. And people mm. will maybe realise. <laughs> yeah, and also it's just not on the list of priorities. Like, we have more important things to yeah, do here. it's just boring and like... But I mean, how are we going to organise into affinity groups and even march down the street if we don't have a community accountability document, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. But then again, that's because... The accountability that I demand is also for me being potentially harmed. 
but their accountability, like, they know that it's going to fall on them. Like, as the perpetrator of violence. As the perpetrator of violence. I do also think that, like, unfortunately, you're still not safe from the manicus, even if you, like, try to not organise with men. You know, (laughs) there's no real way you can be safe from men. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Uh, And this is also the idea behind he is popular. Like, his fear of influence means that even if you're not in direct contact with him, are impacted by him heavily, because he will cling on to power wherever he can. And when he calls himself a feminist and, like, dates feminists and stuff, he then uses that as a way to harm other people as well. Yeah. Hey, man, so much. (laughs) Big mood. But uh, I really think that, like, if you um, are okay to read about, like, sexual violence and misogyny and stuff, that I would recommend it. Yeah. Especially because it, it it is a bit old. Like, it actually also makes me feel like held a bit by other people who have also experienced and like hmm. it does you know i'm not sure it's a bit old like it's what six years old yeah i've i've found things in that archive i was going through while drunk that were older than that which also made me feel the same way they, they wouldn't use the word manarchist i don't think i think this is really the first thing i found that used that word there's probably other things that i just don't know about if you know of them Please let us know. Be really interested in finding other articles like that, especially their pre-2015. That would be so interesting. But I found other things that might not use that word, might not even use the word anarchist, but that's the thing that we're getting at. Yeah. I I don't I guess I don't mean that like that before 2015 people weren't talking about it. I well, I mm. guess I just mean that it's nice to find this. Yeah. Because it shows that people have thought about it enough to like mm. produce something like that you can i don't know like it's like a it makes you feel like you're in kind of like a refracted community with people who yeah also hate anic- manicists yeah <laughs> <laughs> slip of the tongue <laughs> i don't hate anarchists and sometimes i think especially when you're the person that often brings up these issues and is seen as a complainer you can feel like maybe you are making it up. Classic, you know, experience when you're a woman. <laughs> Being a woman experience, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that. Just, yeah, and so this made me feel a bit less crazy. Yeah. And it also made me feel less alone because it's a reminder that other people have noticed the same things, which I think we really need <laughs> when, when we are the people that bring these issues up because people will try and discredit you and they have a whole system of misogynistic meanings to discredit you with that they can just call upon so easily. They don't need to start from scratch the way that you might need to when you bring up an issue that everybody's trying to ignore in the group. They have the patriarchal culture to prop them up when they say you're exaggerating. If people already have some kind of internalized beliefs that women tend to exaggerate, tend to be hysterical and be too emotional, then the manarchists can get away with this without even putting that much effort into actually discrediting you, right? Just by being a man. Yeah. Some of what you said is what I was trying to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like to explain manarchism, we could try and say some sort of more specific examples that we've lived through. Leaving out any names. <laughs> the circumstances, obviously, 
um, like, you know, identifiable circumstances. But I feel like, I mean, the article already gives you some examples. But, yeah. But I think I, I want to share my own experience maybe a bit more, even though I'm also scared of doing it because I know that speaking out about these things has already made me feel terrible in the past. <laughs> so, but I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. Uh, do you want to start? I mean, I feel like some of our experiences overlap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's just try and quickly... Quick fire round. Yeah, yeah, quickly think of, of some things. <sighs> okay. okay, so my my thing that really immediately springs to mind is when we're in a space and there's been like some kind of issue between other people and we're having a, a meeting about it and trying to figure out like how to solve the problem, how to solve the, the conflict and get to the bottom of like what's happening. And actually the bottom of what was happening was misogyny. But anyway. <laughs> no. Yeah, shocking. Shock. The horror. I don't believe it. <laughs> in my <laughs> leftist circle? <laughs> misogyny? In this anarchist space? <laughs> Full of men? It's more likely than you'd think. It is. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so we were having this meeting, and then, like, the manichist, uh was basically just like, we shouldn't be talking about this like this, as in, like, in a meeting-wide scenario. And then everybody was just like, yeah. So then we stopped talking about it? Hmm, he framed it as a personal issue that belonged in the private sphere, even though it impacted the whole group. And also, even though that misrepresented what we were even talking about. Yeah, exactly. Like, somebody had a reason to bring this up in the meeting. And we're in a space together. That's what we're supposed to do. And then the really terrible thing is that then the manarchist was taken at his word. Nobody, there wasn't a discussion. He didn't even have an argument. He just said, this is not an appropriate space to, to be discussing this because it's too upsetting or, or because... It, it wasn't because it's too upsetting. It was, like, because it's unfair on the person who's being, like, critiqued. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But also, like, the thing is, again, like, the person... It wasn't actually about one specific person being yeah. critiqued, which is why it was such, like, a wild thing that, like... You know, because, like, he basically managed to get himself out of any trouble. Oh, yeah. By saying that he was doing it on behalf of this one particular guy who'd done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that meant that, like, we couldn't really even talk about what was actually at the bottom of it, which was that, like, it was about all of the men in the space being misogynistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But... And and it got framed in a way that could be dismissed easily, and then because of his already existing power in the space, it, it wasn't even put up to discussion. Yeah. He just said it, and then nobody could bring it up anymore. Yeah. It's just silencing, and it, it's true form yeah it made me sad that like everybody else was just like yep okay yeah and i do think that part of why everybody else went along with it is because part of the discussion was upsetting yeah. especially to like women yeah right who were wanting to talk about misogyny and found out that they were told they couldn't and nobody was speaking up against that claim yeah yeah it's really horrible and and this is the thing that is really insidious is is the idea of speaking on behalf of somebody. I think that's a really good example of that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because part of supporting people when they're airing grievances like that is to give them the agency over what they want to see happen. You don't go and just take control of the situation and, and 
decide what the just thing is to do, right? Like, you start at the person who say they've been harmed and try to give them back control. And sometimes they're not going to know, right? And that's okay. I don't think you always have to know exactly what reparations you want or, or what you want next, but but it's important that you have a space where you're always given that option genuinely and you're listened to in whatever way you answer to that question. And so to just stop a discussion short, speak on behalf and over somebody else and over other people <laughs> is, is really not the right thing to do. <laughs> and it's very self-centered, right? Because really it's about panicking and, and wanting to take yourself out of the equation, like you said, so that you don't have to worry about it anymore either. Yeah. That's also a bit like the one that you told me about before. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, the one where I was in a group and we got a sort of, like, anonymous tip-off that one of the people that we were, I think, inviting as a guest speaker had, like, some problematic <laughs> views on women. Like, again, this is about misogyny. Um, but but this guy had friends in the group. And so what happened is that his friends in the group, upon us receiving that message, said, oh, because we're his friends, I don't think it's fair that we'd be involved in whatever discussion happens next, because we understand that that makes us biased. And <laughs> they really thought they were doing something good there, right? They thought they were taking accountability for their biases and, and maybe prejudices and... By just, like, getting out of it. Though. Yeah, by like... just not putting any work. But the thing is that if you're close to that person, then actually maybe you are in the best position to be the one to intervene here, right? If we have a discussion and we say, yeah, we want to take this woman seriously, which hopefully is what we <laughs> we say, right? Fingers crossed. Okay, what do we do next? Maybe, you know, you can actually help the most out of anybody there because you have a pre-existing relationship, because yeah. they trust you. This is exactly how you could be using your privilege to support women and to fight against misogyny. This is exactly one of the very few ways in which I think you can use your privilege to help. And so sometimes you can use that but if you don't even do it then, then what are you doing? You're getting all the benefits of being friends with this person and their popularity increases your popularity and you just all support each other in a shitstorm of popularity. <laughs> and, and, and none of the responsibility. And I also feel like, with, especially like with that scenario and then also others as well, where like, not only is that happening, where people just like are actually in good positions to help, in terms of getting people to understand and take responsibility. But also there's just, like, this immediate, like, after you hear the first, like, words of somebody saying, like, this this man did something bad, they don't hear anything else. And then they just project what they think the person is saying. Yeah. And so in the end, you're, you're in these arguments and conversations where, like, you're not even on the same page of, like, what the person who, like, came forward about something even said or even said they wanted? Yeah, I think a lot of the time people can, especially monarchists obviously, can overstate the kind of intervention that somebody is asking for. Is asking for when they bring up an issue because they're just not listening. Yeah, exactly. And and because they know that if they frame things as, oh, this person wants something really drastic, it's more easy for them to take themselves out of the situation. <laughs> 
rather than accept that some nuanced and complicated dialogue needs to be had that doesn't center them and that and that might be really uncomfortable for them and it might result mm-hmm. in, in a situation where actually they can't help. And again, this is the central or like one of the most important things to me is that you need to listen to the kind of help people are actually asking for. I have a lot of stories of the situation where people are demanding an explanation from you about your own oppression in order to take it seriously. Or just in general, where where people are externalizing the work that they need to do onto you. I'm so sorry, I just just remembered this one time. What is it? We were talking about how to, like, collectively resolve, like, issues around accessibility. Mm -hmm. And then the resident manicist of the group suggested I just carry around a bell. (laughs) What? In case I got stuck in a lift. (laughs) So people could hear me if it broke. And and then I was like, okay, well, uh, where am I going to get a bell? And then it was decided by him and, and then everybody else that, like, that was just something that I would deal with by myself. I mean, it was framed as, like, anybody who needs to deal with accessibility should decide it by themselves. But that was only me. So it was just me being like, should I just get a bell then? I don't... This is a terrible idea. <laughs> anyway, back to yours. <laughs> I think I was saying that um, the few times where monarchists have come forward and, you know, offered me help with some issue, it was always (laughs) done in a really unhelpful way and placed the whole brunt of coming up with a solution on me. And then if I didn't, then that absolved them of any responsibility. That's why I said my thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it reminded me. Yeah. Because, you know... (laughs) The, when those conversations happened, they really do take on an illusion of, of being helpful because it's somebody coming up to you and saying, just tell me what I can do. I do anything you tell me. But that's rarely what's what's needed. Like, I've already explained the situation. Why don't you think about how you can help and then propose it or something? And it might not be good. That's fine. But, but it shouldn't just be on me to... to a, bring up the issue, which is really hard. B, make everybody believe me by providing receipts and some kind of evidence that they're looking for. And then also analyze it again to figure out what needs to be done. And then reach out to everybody and ask them to do it. And then apparently, if all of that was in place, they do it. <clears throat> I don't believe it. If you care from the beginning, I wouldn't need to do all of this. You would just believe me. Yeah, you'd be proactive. Also, I would just like to say that the only time that, like, manicus call women their comrades is when they're like, uh, this bad thing happened to me. And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry, comrade. Oh my god, you're so right. Hmm. Yeah, so now you're my comrade, huh? This is why so many times when manicus call me comrade, I just get this burst of rage inside of me. And sometimes I do even turn around and go like, I'm not your comrade. <laughs> I think there's another type of, of manicist. Like a, an archetype, if you will, who uh, is like, I believe in transformative justice, uh, but clearly doesn't know what that means or what that entails. And so we'll say things like that, and then we'll not allow there to be time for any kind of transforming to take place. So they'll like make a critique or they'll get angry about something that happened. And in their getting angry, they'll probably say something about like restorative justice, transformative justice. And then they'll, like, exit a group or Hmm. stop going to meetings or, like, just refuse to participate. Which, like, would be fine if 
that was like there had already been processes and they weren't working and people were being like horrible or whatever. But as like the very beginning of any kind of transformation process, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. On top of the fact that like not all groups have the capacity for the, the type of transformative justice this man wants. Mm-hmm. And also the type he wants never involves him. Yeah, absolutely. Putting like... in any work. And like if the people involved are not up for that kind of process, you can't force them into it. And you especially can't force them into it if you're like a, a man in the space. And I do also often feel like it's like, oh yeah, transformative justice. So let me make this the problem and the like labor of this really tired, sick woman. <laughs> she seems like the one who's going to really take it on. Like, fuck off. <laughs> Transform your fucking self first, okay? Yeah. Again, it's just a, com- a complete disproportionate amount of labor being placed on the people who are already doing all the labor. And then that's not recognized, that's not credited, and then you're demanded to do more. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it's so just like, not enough. Yeah. And I'm angry because that's not what's not enough. What's not enough is what you're doing. You're doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And you're standing in the way of other people trying to do productive things with your shitty action ideas. Right? That's not a thing. I'm gonna get witch hunted by Americans. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Especially when it was like, email us. <laughs> Why did you say that? Well, I guess I was just imagining they wouldn't be manicists doing this. You know, it would be like cute anarcho feminists, and then they would just like message us being like, haha. I wish. It's going to be really long, so uh, man- the manicists will have to be committed, which they aren't, so. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about the bit where they say the manicist is a committed feminist as he is happy to loudly declare on any occasion that he does the cleaning up, offers childcare, or makes tea for others. However, often when unglamorous labor needs to be done, it turns out that the manarchist is busy with something very important. (laughs) And when I originally read this, I thought, you know, I don't even know manarchists that do proclaim to do the cleaning up. Actually, a lot of them, it's really obvious that they don't. But then I remembered that there was this instance where I was in a space... And upon trying to make a critique that, like, the men here are are not cleaning up, I think some woman there said to me, oh, but look at this one, Manarchist. He's sweeping the stairs right now. And I was like, okay, but do you realize that the reason why that's even noticeable to you is because it doesn't usually happen? Like, people would literally come up with these exact times where they saw him sweeping the stair as a counter-argument to that. But that's, like, base level. Like, that's what people should be doing when they're in a space together. Yeah, yeah. And and really, if it's noticeable, it means that he's not doing it that often. If if you notice and you're like, huh, that's out of the ordinary. <laughs> you know, like, if I ask them to talk about all the times that maybe they saw me doing the dishes, I don't think they could do that. Or, or something like that. So... I think that's a sort of paradox of they're able to get away with saying they're doing something because maybe they're doing even less than the minimum, but maybe other men in the space are doing nothing, so it looks like a lot. Or maybe they do it in a way that's specifically geared towards being noticed. Like, I did notice that this particular manarchist 
actually was doing that, especially after some meetings we had where we had brought up that critique, right? And, you know, on the one hand, you could say, oh, well, he was trying. But on the other hand, I'm tired of having to bring these things up for there to be any change. And then getting change back, that's not even actually the amount that I asked for and having to pretend to be grateful for it and like almost fall at somebody's feet and be like, oh, thank you so much for doing 5% of the housework here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, people responding to critiques of men not doing housework and stuff, like, obviously it's it's like sometimes more complicated than just like the men who then do stuff are just doing it so that they can perform being a good, like, feminist man. They do also feel like you can normally tell, like, the vibes. Because the other thing as well is, like, that's not just um, you need to pick up a broom, you man. It's all of the men in the space need to take responsibility for caring for in the same way that the women in the space are. Which doesn't just mean you should pick up a broom, it means you should encourage all of your men friends Mm -hmm. to also do the same. And you should also maybe even pick things where people can't see that you're doing them. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, in rooms that people... I'm just going to walk by and see. Because, like, I feel like some of that is so, like, mm. you know, you picked an area where people frequent all the time so that people can see that you're doing it. Yeah. Like, why is all of my work so invisible and yours is so hyper-visible? Yeah. My favourite is when you make a fuss about doing the cleaning in the group chat, then you leave when the cleaning's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't come back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, the amount of cleaning days that have been scheduled in, like, spaces that I frequent and have meetings in and stuff, and then the only people that show up to the cleaning day are women and non-binary people. And it's often also, like, the same women and non-binary people. Mm-hmm. And then what kills me is that not, not only does that happen, but then the men don't even apologise for that. Because even if that happens, you could still say... Not just, sorry, I can't make it, but, sorry, I can't make it, and I realise this gender ratio is pretty off, and I will make it up, or or something, but they just don't care. (laughs) One image that, that keeps coming in my head is of the times where I've been in a meeting where something upsetting happened. Not necessarily even towards me, but, like in terms of misogyny or, or apologism or something like that. And I would come out and, and in my mind, like, would be visibly upset. And then I would see all the women to be visibly upset. And then inevitably, every time I would see the men gathered <laughs> in a circle, talking to each other and probably talking shit about the woman in the group. I don't know. But either way only talking to each other, never checking up on the other people. Surrounded by, like, crying women. I mean, honestly, yeah. Like, it's not always that obvious, but, but there have been times where that genuinely was what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, it's not even about going out of your way to be a good ally. It's about pretty basic notions of compassion. Yeah, just fucking check in. I thought it was really... Maybe this isn't that related... Something that really struck me was when we were in the space together and then some women and non-binary people were kind of sharing their experiences and one of them said, uh, this one woman said, like, oh, uh, I was doing some washing up and then 
these men came in and they just left their cups, you know, presuming that I would just do it. And, like, if they had asked, like, that would have been fat. Like, I probably would have said yes. But, like, and then, like, three other people were like, yeah, that happened to me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you think about the reasons why it took those people so long to even share those experiences, I think it is because of the presence of the monarchists <laughs> and the fact that it's almost like their presence also makes it harder for you to talk to each other because the focus is always on them and their emotions and their opinions and their amazing level of knowledge. I feel like also they would probably never suggest or like describe mm-hmm. themselves as an emotional person. Yeah. But they are, and they make people, like, responsible for their emotions. Mm-hmm. But because they're not women, they don't get called, like, emotional. They yeah. Maybe they get called angry, mm-hmm. or they just, uh, they just are called, like, rational or whatever, or, like, passionate. Mm-hmm. When really, like, they're being emotional about stuff, and then they're trying to manipulate people via their emotions. So, do you have any more <laughs> undiscernible manicist Arch archetypes, archetypes. Sorry, uh, to mention, the anarchist knows that activism was invented by white men. Anarchism, socialism, communism—these labels describe a tradition of male genius. Ugh. I feel like this is also why we started this podcast. Yes, because I'm tired of being told that books written by white men are the origins of anarchism. (laughs) And I think that when you're doing your own self-education about stuff like radical ideas, you know, the kind of thing that they probably don't teach you in school, or even really at university, because teaching it would entail you wanting to dismantle that institution, (laughs) then you get to decide where to start. Where it's like, it's not just about the order in which you read things, but it's also about where you place the importance of of who invented what and so on. And so I am just going to go out and say it. I'm going to come out and say it. This might be controversial. <laughs> and, and I think I'm being really brave here. Oh my goodness. Really brave of me, but I have not read... Kropotkin. Kropotkin, sorry, I can't <laughs> pronounce it. The Conquest of Bread. I, mean... I have not read Malatesta. I think I pronounced that right. Um, as, a, as a sign of your feminist rebellion, you're mispronouncing all the men's names. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I do not want to. Okay? Okay. And that doesn't mean that I don't know what their concepts are. Like, obviously, if I'm immersed in this, I've heard of them. But it means that I refuse to spend my time endlessly debating these same men and not using that time to look at some better ideas, frankly. But, okay? I agree with you. And I think the pressure to start there and to put so much of your time there is so misguided when your ideology is is supposed to rest on ideas of autonomy and and this is an area where you can do that because also a lot of these anarchist texts are free online but also even if historically you might look at it and be like oh this is where we first saw this idea being put into writing don't you know that what's 
in, in books is not necessarily what happened <laughs> or, or where ideas originated. That, like, the, the wives and the partners and the friends and the sisters of these men were probably talking politics to them too. And who knows how many of these ideas came from them. Yeah, and, and I mean, I also think some of that is recorded, like this sort of like stealing, borrowing from the, the women in various geniuses, in quotation marks, lives. But I, I also think it's like, it's um, ironic that anarchism, which is a lot about collectivity, community, creating things together, like creating society together, uh, forgets that when it comes to these type of texts and sees the creation of a book, for example, as the work of one sole person when mm. like nobody produces anything in a vacuum yeah and I, sometimes i also think that like naming something you know like let's say like kropotkin was the first person to like write about mutual aid or whatever the fuck like <laughs> like just because somebody put a name to something doesn't mean that all of the non-specifically named iterations of that thing are like now less or more meaningful you know because yeah. I, I also think that, like, that also speaks to how, like, in some communities there's, there becomes this, like, you've, you have to talk the talk in order to be accepted, so you have to know particular um, jargon. It, like, it doesn't really matter how much you say about mutual aid. If you're not good at doing it, then hmm. you're not good exactly. at doing it, you know? Like, exactly. Yeah. You, you can read Kropotkin all you like. That doesn't actually make you a good anarchist. You can, like, make people, like, shame people into reading these things, too. That doesn't make you a good anarchist, either. Yeah, and, and this is what is also so particular to anarchism as a political ideology, I guess, that it, it is supposed to be about your actions, and you are supposed to try and see those ideas enacted in places where people might not be using those words or might not even have any kind of theoretical um, framework that you can recognize as such, which is important. I think most people have a theoretical framework, but they might not be quoting the conquest of bread. And the way in which this, those, those ideas live in the world often, often is in places where you're not going to find the exact words you're looking for, but you still want to recognize, uh, to recognize it as good and worthwhile and something that you want to support and maybe be engaged in if it's done by people for their own liberation, yeah. right? This is why I want to read some of Wayward Lives' Beautiful Experiments by Sadia Hartman with you, because I think, um, I mean, at least so far, I'm like 60 pages in or something, I feel like it really speaks to that, like making legible acts of like radical, like almost black feminist solidarity visible from, you know, 1900s, mm -hmm. which, yeah, aren't, aren't like seen or recognized at all in any in, in like a lot of like radical history or like radical political theory you know mm -hmm. yeah these yeah. like everyday acts of rebellion that like absolutely constitute like sort of anarchist revolution in, in some way yeah 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 that sounds interesting yeah it's really it's really brilliant so far but that is yeah so i do think i think that was good because like it's i think it's nice to say sort of one of the things that made us make this mm-hmm it, I also, like, uh, I studied English literature at university and it is so boring to read white men. Like, I was forced to do Listen, it. Listen, okay, come on. I, I know, you did philosophy. It's so way worse. Oh, you I don't even, You don't even know. <laughs> I accept that it is bad. But listen, analytical philosophy? <laughs> oh. In the UK? You brought that on yourself. <laughs> well, 
I didn't no. know yeah, it was no. going to be Me just neither. These, these men. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. I do not recommend. Like, honestly, <laughs> stay the fuck away. And, yeah. Yeah. It's not about really lack of resources. It's really about this idea of, like, what is considered important. Yeah, and what isn't. And what's foundational, and then what's secondary. Like, what's the basic thing that people need to understand, which obviously is uh, yeah. what white men say. And then the things that are, like, extra little sprinkles yeah. on top, you know. Uh, oh, if you want, you could add a little bit of feminism. But <laughs> only after we've created a base of misogyny. <laughs> yeah, and this is also how I think some people view anarch feminism. Where you're like, oh, you take anarchism, and is this, like, special other route that you can take it. But but no, it's actually, I think anarcho-feminism is anarchism. And if you're an anarchist and you're not taking into account this, like, f- these feminist things and queer liberation and you're not doing things to f- fight transphobia, then you're not an anarchist. And I feel like maybe I should clarify that when I say stuff like that, like, anarchists are not real anarchists, I don't think of that as a form of trying to gatekeep the anarchist identity. Like, um, and, and I also think that it's ironic that the men who are the loudest about being an anarchist are also the ones who are the worst at putting those ideas into practice or even having like a coherent theoretical framework of tackling oppressions to begin with. But I, I think that women and non people should be able to make criticisms of their comrades without it being misrepresented as a form of gatekeeping, which is really a way to silence their concerns. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find us on Twitter at anarchafempod. And if you want to email us, unless you're a manarchist, <laughs> um, our email is anarchisminterrupted at protonmail.com. And transcripts of the uh, podcast episodes will be up on anarchisminterrupted.wordpress.com. Yeah. So, should we end with a good thing that happened to us this week? Yes, please! Um, this week, I think I may have begun radicalizing my physiotherapist. Nice. <laughs> because she asked me what I was up to, and I was like, oh, I'm making this podcast. And she was like, oh, what is it about? And I said, anarcho-feminism. And she was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> and... I sort of talked her through it while she was um, beating up my leg. (laughs) And (laughs) as part of the profession, obviously. And (laughs) and, um, she said that, like, she was really surprised because she always thought that anarchism was about violence and aggressivity and everything I was telling her was about community and care. And I was like, well, this is what happens when you only see men do things, right? Like, yeah, actually when men do it, maybe it is about that a lot of the time. But but look at the women who do anarchism. Look at what they do. And she wasn't, like, totally convinced because then she went into this classic liberal feminist response of, like, but we we have to live with men. To which I said... No, we don't. Do we? (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. You know, we have to live with them. We have to get along with them, was her point of view. At which point I decided to stop saying what I think because (laughs) uh, I thought I had done enough, right? I had shattered her 
initial misconceptions. So I thought that was already a good start. Yeah, it's pretty right? good. And, and I even linked it to like some ideas of mutual aid, you know, um, that she had never heard of but recognized in other things that she knew, even if they're not necessarily called that. So I, I think that was pretty positive nice. overall. Like definitely way more positive than I expected when the words anarcho-feminist <laughs> left my mouth in the middle of a physiotherapy appointment. <laughs> you, uh, she should listen to our first episode. Yeah. <laughs> Her misconceptions were like my misconceptions. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, you're right, yeah. And look where I am now. You're, yeah. Sitting you're on here. the floor, in pain, <laughs> talking to Vicky. Yeah. I think my good thing for the week is um, I baked some hamantaschen cookies in preparation for Purim, which is happening whilst we're recording this, it's going to happen in like two days. Um, and I've never done it before and they came out nice. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I've, I mean, I don't bake as much as I used to because it hurts a lot and I'm too tired, but I do love baking. So it was nice to do it. And it's like nice that it was also like validating in a religious sense as well yeah were those the ones i had that had little cran raisins or cranberries no those were welsh cakes god i did oh, so much baking recently yeah you really did so they were the ones i tried that had a chocolate feeling and a tomato yeah feel yeah those are good. Yeah, they're like um they're like in the shape of like triangles, like folded over triangles with like filling inside and it can be sweet or savory. And so I was testing out yeah. some chocolate and also I made like a tomato saucy type thing in the middle. Well, I'm gonna make more of them with different flavours, but some of those flavours too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I think my good thing is also just like I'm looking forward to Purim, so Yeah, and your good thing is also my good thing because I'll get to eat those yeah. things. <laughs> That's cute. Oh. <laughs> okay, so um thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.